of a better thing a man could, a person, a human could ever lay their eyes on. I've told people uh, that has lost a, a baby. Uh, as you've heard me say, our, our, we lost our first one. And uh, I know a lot of other people has. And I've shared this with different people. I said, you imagine the first thing that child saw was the face of God. Um, I, I tell you, that's, think about that. A uh, kid that, that, is, that is your child, uh, part of you that never had to go through this sinful, dreadful world. Uh, that's a blessing uh, to know that one day we'll see that kid. And, uh, and I don't know what it's going to be like uh, when we get to heaven. I don't know how these reunions are going to be. You say, well, people know us. Well, I'd like to think I'm smarter there than I am here, and I know who you are here, so I'd like to think I know who I'm going to see there. Uh, well, I know that Jesus recognized Moses and Elijah and Peter uh, and John and James recognized him, but I can give you some more instances if you want them. Uh, but I believe we will know who each other are. You say, what about the ones that didn't make it to heaven? Well, I, I don't know. The Bible don't tell us, so I've got to worry about it. Uh, I don't know what our thoughts will be. I don't know if we'll have memories. So if we do, it won't bother us because if it did, it wouldn't be heaven. And uh, so for those that are lost and not ready to meet Jesus, not ready to go to heaven, if you want another uh, soul searching thought, just imagine that your loved ones who are saved and born again, A, will not remember you, or B, will not be upset that you're in hell. That's a thought, isn't it? Uh, I don't know what our thoughts will be. Thank you, brother. But, uh, but I know it's going to be what God wants us to have. What a blessing to be able to be a part of his family, to know that uh, I know no matter what happens, to me, Jesus is in control. Second Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's a very, very simple, basic message tonight. Sometimes I think we just need a little reminder on some things. This is what God laid on my heart. and Certainly I need, need things like this from time to time, reminded of it. And just a little encouragement in these areas, and you'll understand what I mean here in a minute. Second Samuel chapter 23. That comes after 1 Samuel. And it's before... 1 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings. Is everybody there? Sounds like most pages have finished turning. So 2 Samuel 23, verse 8. We're just going to read a few verses and then we'll preach just a simple subject tonight. 2 Samuel 23, verse 8 says, These be the names of the mighty men whom David had the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adano the Izanite. He lifted up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Elziar, the son of Dodo, the Amahite, one of three mighty men with David when they defeated, or I'm sorry, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave into the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day, God, that you give us. God, there are some days as we read here like this, God, that are battles. And God, sometimes we're going to find ourselves seemingly all alone greatly outnumbered, but God, if you're on our side, then we always have the majority. 
we're never outnumbered if we're below, when we belong to you. God, I thank you that we have you, Lord, to call on, that I can call you my Lord, my Father, my God. Not just some God, not just some acquaintance, but God, I, I mean, you bought me with the price of blood. And Lord, I thank you for that, that I'm part of your family and I'm part of you, Jesus. And I don't always understand that completely. I can't completely explain it and understand it. But you just told me to believe it and you do the rest. Thank you for that. Lord, be with us tonight. Give me the words needed, God, for this hour. Lord, I pray, God, that you touch the hearts of each one that are here, maybe anyone that may watch or hear some other way. And God, help us to always be willing and ready to share your word. In Jesus, your name we pray. And amen. Uh, as you heard me read here, I just read two of the, David's mighty men. There's another one that's mentioned here and the feats that he did. Then it mentions a story about how all three of them got him a drink of water out of a well that the Philistines had kind of surrounded him. And this is an interesting read and I've heard messages preached from this and I've preached from it a few times. But God let me back here and uh, preach it a little bit different than I have in the past. Uh, but we read here that, and I want to focus on verse 9 and 10 when David uh, was with Elziar and the son of Dodo, and they were there together, and it said he was one of the three mighty men with David, and they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. So if I read this correctly, if I understand this, the way I'm reading it is David and this one mighty man was all that were there. Everybody else tucked tail and run. Everybody else were cowards. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, that's pretty much the way I see what the Bible's saying. Uh, they fled, they ran. They said, we're outnumbered, the odds don't look good. Boys, yon yon. And so they got out of town. And so we see here that Elziar uh, and David were there alone and they fought against the Philistines. And in verse 10, we see that he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. And his hand clave into the sword and the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people uh, returned after him only to spoil we read of another fellow one time when he was a child by the name of David who also took on the Philistines when everybody else had their tail tucked and it was cowered down. Goliath would come out, challenge him, he'd curse and complain and carry on, call them all wimps and cuss God and defy them and say, you bunch of wimps, come on over here and fight me. That's basically what uh, Goliath was doing and David said, I'll come at you in the name of the Lord and there's so many messages in that little bag of stones and in that stone and David took that slingshot a slingshot and slung it, and then we know the rock hit, the, uh, hit Goliath right there in the forehead and knocked him out and knocked him down. David took Goliath's own sword, cut his head off, and he kept his armor in his tent. Why? As a reminder to what God did for him. And no doubt when this uh, situation came about and David and Elziar was here alone, I think David's mind went back to that day. The Lord will, will bring a great victory. If you'll trust in him and do what God says, he'll bring you the great victory you need. There are some things I want us to focus on here this evening that I believe with God's help, it'll help you and I. And there's something we need to understand and realize. You've heard me say numerous times, I haven't said this one for a while, I've given numerous illustrations on it, but the one thing that's the most complicated thing in life that you ever have is a child. Some spouses may argue their husbands are the most complicated thing in life. And they may be right, I don't know. But everything I buy just about comes with instructions. Thank God I want to say this before I forget it. I was going to mention it this morning, I forgot it. 
But if you have noticed up here, up on the hill, Rex was kind enough. That property is his and sweet enough to allow us to put a swing set there. Willie was kind enough to rent a, a, a skid steer, level that spot out, and they started on that swing set that we've been trying to get up for two years. And Willie said he looked in the, in the book to uh, explain that thing to put it together. It's 140 pages long with details. Very complicated, very detailed. And, and, and a lot of times when we go to do something, when you learn to operate something, every phone I've ever bought comes with a little bit of a quick start manual. Most things, electronics you buy, it's a quick start manual. I never turn to the long start manual. I go to the quick start manual at best and figure out the minimum I need to do and I'll just say, I'll slingshot her from here. And yet, the greatest thing on earth that gives us the greatest instructions we'll ever have is this Bible. The day that uh, little Drew was born, or that night in the middle of the night, after Amber suffered 18 hours of labor, and they handed him to me, and I had a flood of emotions and thoughts. I thought, I'm so proud, and I'm so full of love, and I'm scared to death at the same time. Put him back. I'm not ready for this. Problem was, he couldn't go back. He was there. He was ours. And I had him. And when the hospital turned us loose, and they said, Amber, you're ready to take your child, and you're ready to go home, do you know they gave us a car seat? They gave us a little hat and some gloves. They gave us a few little things. But the one thing they did not give us was an instruction manual on how to take care of that boy. The most complicated thing and scary thing on earth is for new parents to take a kid home and you are responsible for that life. And there's no instruction manual. It doesn't tell you what to do when they get, when they get choked. There's no instruction manual to tell you what to do when they get sick. There's no instruction manual to tell you what to do when this happens and that happens. And you know what? They barely even teach you how to put on a diaper. And yet, you're sent home with a life. But I have found that every instruction I need in life comes from right here. I don't need any other instructions when it comes to right. Yes, I read books. Yes, I watch videos. I need all the help I can get. But if we will devote ourselves to this right here, it will make such a difference in our life. Now I'm going to compare our lives to this mighty man and what he did. You notice that he was one of the three mighty men. Well, let me say a couple things here and getting started. I don't want to sound like I'm contradicting. I know some people preach about getting in the rain. Some people preach about getting out of the rain. Some people preach about getting in the fire. Some people said, do you see the fire? Has it fail? Uh, get out of the fire and on and on. So we all got our own little titles. Now Tyler Hudson preached a message here when I was gone about a pastor and about how he said also one message he preached was about a fellow who helped Moses who was a nobody. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times that's what we need to strive for is to be a nobody. But in God's eyes, we need to be somebody. The only way you're going to get to be somebody is to be a nobody. And here we find that God in all his wisdom chose to call these three men mighty men. How'd they get that way? I've been a nobody. If you read on down, David said that he said, oh, I wish that I could have a drink of water out of the well at Bethlehem. 
And his three mighty men, the third one that I didn't name, said, break through the garrison of the Philistines, drew out that water and brought it to David and handed him that cup of water. And David said, I will not drink this because this men gave their life. They put their life on the line for this for me. It's the price of blood. And he poured it out on the ground to the Lord. Let me ask you something. Are you willing to pour out some of your blessings to the Lord like we're supposed to? Or are we selfish with them? Well, me, I'm about off subject here. I don't know. God may be getting ready to take me a whole other direction what I planned on. But we, we see that these three mighty men were named and God saw to it that he named them. They didn't call themselves mighty men. They earned that title. Now, how would they do that? Well, number one, let's look here in verse 10. It says about Elzear, and he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've read your Bible and prayed to your hands and knees were weary? To your eyes were weary? Have you ever prayed yourself to sleep? That you started praying sometime in the night? You got down out of your bed and on your knees and you prayed and you sought God and you said, God, I need you. I need your power. I need your wisdom. I need your word. I need your understanding. I need you to move. I need whatever it may be. And we get uh, familiar with our sword, number one. Are you familiar with your sword? You get familiar with your sword enough that you know how to use it. Could you imagine going to battle? And this LZR is considered a mighty man. And David says, here, use this sword. He says, I've never used a sword in my life. I wonder how long it took for that battle to end. I'd say David had been sitting there alone and Elzear would be laying in a puddle of blood because he was going against people who were battle-hardened, who knew how to use a sword. Do you, are you familiar with your sword? Or is, is your sword uh, go home on Sunday, lay down, and then sometime throughout the week or the weekend come, you say, where's my Bible? Now, I do do that sometimes because we come in, I throw it down, I start ripping clothes off, and I do this and do that, and I lay it down. The next day, I'll say, where's my Bible? But do you not know where it's at because it's been too long since you touched it? Or because you was in a hurry when you got home like I am most of the time? I want to get home. I want to get this suit off. I appreciate them. I thank God for them. I'll be honest with you. I have had to buy very few suits. Most of the suits I've got has been given to me. It's a blessing that you don't understand. But let me ask you something. Are you familiar with your sword? I mean, let me show you something else here in this. And it said they. And, and let me back up to verse nine. And then one of the three mighty men with David, and they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. You know one thing that this particular LZR was? He was familiar with the subject. He knew who he was fighting. I believe he knew who he was fighting with as well. He had the king beside of him. You know, I've never fought a battle since I've been saved that the king wasn't beside me. The king will be with me all the time. I need to be familiar with my subject. I need to be familiar with him. I need to understand Jesus. I need to know how he thinks. I need to know what he thinks, what he feels, how he feels about things, what he thinks about me, how he feels about me. And I'm going to tell you, uh, there for a while I was preaching on the subject of Satan's strategies on Sunday nights, and I might go back to it some. But let me ask you, are you familiar with some of his strategies? 
Are you familiar enough with your enemy that you recognize the difference in the enemy and recognize the difference in a, a friend or a foe? One of the greatest tragedies, I think, in war that we could ever hear about. And no doubt, if for those of you that's been in the military, you was in any kind of combat, there's something called a friendly fire. There was an NFL player named Pat Tillman. He played for the Arizona Cardinals. After 9-11, he quit the NFL, I think he was 25 or 26, joined the Army and became an Army Ranger. He was that moved by the events of 9-11 that he did this. And he was over in Afghanistan, I believe if memory serves me right, and he was gunned down by his own men. He was killed by friendly fire. It was an accident. Let me tell you something. If you're not familiar with your sword and you don't understand the subject you're fighting, you will hit people with friendly fire. You've got to be careful when you start waving that sword around and you start trying to tell people how great you are and how bad they are or you start thinking the devil starts puffing you up telling you how good you are and how bad everybody else is or he turns it around and tells you how bad you are and how good everybody else is. See, he's got strategies and if you don't know your sword, if you don't understand the subject, you will be defeated. We must be familiar with the subject and with our sword. How long has it been? Since you spent time in your Bible, can you honestly say, I can take a subject, Pastor, and let God show me and direct me and help me study it out, help me figure out what it means, what I need to learn, what I need to figure out. You say, how did you learn, Pastor? I started studying. I just started reading. Reading. That's a little bit better English. Now, granted, uh, yes, I believe that God does give preachers a touch when they're announced their collar preach to understand the Bible and I will testify to this. The night I announced my collar preach from that day to this, I, when I read the Bible, it was different than before I got called. I will say that, but let me tell you something. God will show you just as much as he'll show me or any other preacher if you'll apply yourself, if you'll do it. I've spent hundreds of dollars buying books and stuff and I don't regret a dime spending a dime on any of it to learn what the Bible says. Do I know all that it says? Not even a little bit but I try to learn. I wonder, what would the Bible put you and I in today? If he was going to list the mighty people of this church, where would we fall? Hmm. If he listed the mighty people of the church, would this church make the list? If he listed the mighty people of the church, would any of us make the list? God's making the list, not man, not you and I. God's making the list. And the only way to get there is you've got to be a nobody to be a somebody in God's eyes. He will make you a somebody, but you must learn and be familiar with your, your sword and your subject. And number one, listen to me and listen well, this man showed up armed. He didn't show up to the battle and say, give me a sword. He had his sword with him. I dare say, I'd hate to think, and please don't nobody get mad at me, but there's something about the written word. I use electronic devices to study a lot. I put my notes a lot on my, on my surface. You all know that. But there's something about the Bible, something about this written word, something about this book that a, a tablet, electronic device will never, ever replace in my eyes when I hold it, I touch it, I clutch it. There's just something different about this. I want to have a written word with me. 
I want to know my subject. It said he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. You notice, and his hand clave into the sword. He was set in his place. He knew the place God put him. He was not going to move. You read on now the next mighty man got in a battle over a patch of beans, peas, pea patch, lentils. They're, they're basically a second-hand pea. I don't like first-hand peas and I don't think I'm going to like second-hand peas. That's basically what a lentil is, if you don't know. Jewish peas. You can have my helping. But nevertheless, the Philistines had come and drove them out of that pea patch over and over and over. And finally, one of the mighty men said, I have left this pea patch for the last time. You're not running me off again. And he stood there and God brought him a victory. I don't know all the background to this particular battle that LZR and David was in. It doesn't give us a lot of details. But I believe LZR said, I'm standing here for the name of the Lord. I'm standing here honoring my king, King David. I'm standing here honoring Jesus Christ. And I'm going to stand here and I am set in the place God put me. And I shall not be moved. And he fought and he fought. He did not quit. He didn't say, I'm tired. I'm weary. God, i got to give up. Why are you doing me this way? Why are you putting me through this? Why am I in this battle? Why don't you do something? something? Where's all the help? Why would you ask me to fight all these men with just me and one other man? He sat in his place until the Lord delivered him. Why? Because he knew how to use his sword. He knew his subject. And he was comfortable with both. Are you comfortable with your sword? Let me ask you a question. If the battle comes tomorrow, do you know what subject, where to find the subject you need to fight the battle? Are you familiar enough with your sword that you can say, you know what? I know where to turn for the answers to this question. I know where to start looking. I might not find the exact answer, but I at least know where to start. I've got an idea of where I can start looking. I know my sword enough. I'm familiar with it enough. I've come, I'm getting myself armed, and I want to learn the subject of what I'm looking at here. I want to learn the subject. Most of you can use Google. All you got to do is say, Google certain subjects, and I believe it or not, it will actually tell you verses to look at. I don't recommend that being your only source of information to find stuff in the Bible by far, but it works. He was set. You know one thing about it. I'm set in the place that God puts me. I am very settled on the fact that I am born again. The devil still tries to tell me that I'm lost. He'll still pull that on me. He'll still try to say, look what you've done, look what you said, look what this, look at that. You can't be saved if you did that or thought that or said that. And I said, well, devil, you know what? I did say that and think that and I can't undo it. But I know I'm God's and he's mine and I'm born again, so leave me alone. And then if that doesn't work, that's when I pull out the sword. And I say, devil, here's what the Bible says. You may argue me, you can't argue this Bible. You have no defense. I'm settled in that. I'm settled in God securing me, sealing me till the day I leave here, whatever means that may be by. Now, I got one more point and I'm done. 
And he said, And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. Imagine how LZR and David felt. <laughs> we sat here. LZR said, I have fought to the point that I cannot even lift up my arms. I had to pry my hand loose from my sword because I held on to it and squeezed it so hard, so long. And now y'all going to come in here and try to take the filet mignon steak and leave me with a piece of gristle? Humor me. You know what? He had to be pretty sure of who he was and what he was. And he had to be real sure of his sword to not blow up and try to cut their head off. How long has it been since God has done something for you or you've done something and people come by to gain the cream of the crop and you're the one that did the mixing? How long has it been? Does it feel like that sometimes? You didn't get the notoriety that you should have got? You wasn't mentioned like it? I got to look at somebody. I'm not trying to pick anybody out here. That, that something didn't go your way? You know what, if he wasn't sure of his subject and wasn't set on who he was, he could have got real upset. Hmm. But let's read this again. And after him was Elziar, the son of David, or son of Dodo, the, the Ahite, one of the three mighty men of David when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave into the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. A couple things I want to point out and I'm finished. Number one, when the battle started, the people fled. Let me tell you something. If you're going to live for Jesus, when the battle comes, you're going to find yourself all alone a lot of times. The people that were supposed to have helped, that you thought you could count on, that was going to be there to help you, may not be there. The help that you thought you would have, may not be there. I'm not telling you it won't be, I'm just telling you there's a chance. When, when you thought you was going to have this or have that, may not be there. But this man knew what he could count on. He was sure of who he had put his faith in. He didn't put it in those people that run and fled. He had it in one place. You put your faith in your sword. By the way, this is called a sword, by the way. In Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. This will do everything that I need it to do. God will take this right here and carve people up He'll fix our life. He'll fix us up. He'll fix you up. He'll take care of you in ways that you never imagined. But you've also got to know the subject. I wonder how much effort God's going to put forth if you never put any forth effort into learning the subject and being familiar with your sword. I've gave this illustration before. I've never fired an AR-15. I'd like to. I've never fired an M60. I'd really like to do that. I've never threw a grenade. I'd like to do that. I've never fired a grenade notcher. I'd like to do that too. 
an RPG, I think that'd even be more fun. Boom! Could you imagine if we sent our soldiers off to war and never one time taught them how to use these weapons? How long would it last? Not very long. As I said in the beginning, this man was practiced with his sword. How practiced are you with your sword? Are you sure of the subjects? Are you familiar with the subjects that come your way? I've thought different things to preach on recently just based on what I hear people say sometimes. And I've tried to preach truth since I've been here. Some basic things you and I should know is why we're saved, how we got saved, and how to tell somebody to be saved. And know why you are continued to be saved. Know what keeps you saved. I don't keep myself saved. If my works can't get me saved, my works ain't going to keep me saved. How familiar are you with certain subjects of the sword? Are you set on the fact that every word of this Bible is true, accurate, undefiled, infallible, perfect, exactly the way God wants it? I am. I'm set on that. Are you sure? Are you sure of your place, position with God? That He's the one you need to please and get recognition from. There's things you're going to do sometimes for Jesus, for this church, that you may not get any mention. You may not get any recognition. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not really, I don't want to be concerned about what people think about me when it comes to that. I'd much rather have God's recognition than I would any of yours. Yours is lip service. God's is eternal service. I don't mean that mean. There's nothing wrong with giving people compliments and encouraging. We should. Let me ask you. I wonder what the story will be like in heaven. Could you imagine, humor me, and I'm closing with this, if at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, that's where the Christians go, God opens up our book of life. You say, well, it can't be that long. Well, one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And I'd say, he, I'd say he's got time to do whatever he wants to do. He opens up the book of our life and starts reading it. Starts going over our life. I wonder when he gets to certain subjects or certain places, I wonder if he can say, here you were mighty. You were mighty here. Or I wonder if he's going to look at us and say, and you fled and only come back for the spoil here. I wonder what it would read like. He would say, if you had only been more familiar with your sword and knew the subject and been set where I put you and been sure of that, you could have really wrought a great victory that day. I would have brought you the victory. I would have wrought a great victory in you that day. I would have given you the victory. But because you were not in those areas, you fled and you left. Just humor me for a minute. I wonder what that would feel like. I don't want to guilt you into thinking anything or doing anything, but I want to encourage you to be familiar with our sword. Let's learn what it says as much as we are 
mentally capable. Let's get familiar with certain subjects. You need to be familiar with the subject of your Savior from this Bible. You need to be familiar with the subject of you from this Bible. The greatest thing as a human that I guess I've ever, the greatest privilege I've ever had, humanly speaking on earth, is getting married and having two children. Not everybody will experience that, and I don't know why I can't explain it, so don't ask. But I've enjoyed that. The greatest, most complicated thing I've ever been had, handed, was a child. And I didn't get the first piece of instruction from that hospital. To this day, Thomas Hospital, to my knowledge, still does not give out an instruction manual for you and your kids when you leave. But I had one. I have an instruction manual on how to be a husband, how to be a father, how to be a Christian, how to be a man, how to be an employee, how to be a friend, how to be a servant to Jesus, how to be a servant to you, how to be a pastor, how to be this. How to, hey, everything I need is right here. The problem is I don't read the instruction manual like I should. We should be so familiar with this Bible that we, when something comes along, a verse pops in our head and says, I know something about that. Father, I thank you again for your word. Lord, it's, it's, it's so amazing to me. God, your word is so simple, yet so profound, perplexing. We'll never, ever fully understand it or exhaust it. But yet, God, we can also at the same time understand it. God, I don't have anything else like that on earth. And your love, your forgiveness, your mercy. But God, I live in it. I experience it. Lord, I thank you for that and I praise you for it. God, help us to be more familiar with your word. God, I couldn't imagine what this mighty man would have been like, Lord, if he hadn't been familiar with his sword. Somewhere along the line, God, he rose up through the ranks because of his valor, because of his integrity, because of his honor, Lord, because of the, the, the sacrifice, the willingness that he was willing to give, God, and, and, and do without to give. Lord, as, as Christians, that's what we must be, God. Your word teaches that, and I pray that, God, I can be more familiar with your word. Lord, Lord, certainly I've been preaching to myself tonight as much as anybody. So, Father, help us, God, I pray, to spend more time with you. God, read our Bibles until we're weary sometimes. God, we do other things. Why don't we do it with you? Help us all, Lord, now to be closer to you and closer to each other. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. As we stand, we get a song. If